Welcome back to the 31st episode of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we're not just highlighting the glory of the rating gains like our guest had at one point, for sure, but we also dive into the plateaus and the pits of despair, which seem to be more common. Even when you have your great gain, normally you have a plateau for at least some time. I don't know. Am I on a plateau? Neil Bruce says no. So I'll just say no. Sure. Even though my rating's the same, we'll say no. Um, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. Supporting the show helps so much. It allows me to make even bigger commitments. Who knows? Maybe one day I can retire from my teaching job. They would be sad, I hope. Uh, so thanks to Terry King, Andrew Perry, Jay Tuttle, and Jay Garrison for their support. Um, I have been putting some videos on YouTube of Dr. Skull. I'm doing a recap of 2021. I recently put up the my favorite 10 books from last year. Um, my chessable streak is at 30 to 8 days and counting. I finished Timeless Technique Strategic Endgames. I'm working on the Woodpecker Method. I'm doing a little lighter, right? I'm not doing like 50 puzzles a day. And I'm doing the supposed easy ones. They're really not that easy. Uh, but that's another story, I guess. And if you want to try aim chess, go to doctor. You can use the code Dr. Skull 30 to get uh, a little bit of a discount. Help me out a bit. I got to say, I'm liking aim chess more and more. My subscription ran out and it freaked me out. I was like, oh no, I can't see how my end game play has been progressing. So I, I didn't realize how um, uh, much I've been using it. And now I'm with the show. I want to welcome our guest today, Stacia. She is a chess teacher, a chess writer an adult improver, a two-time guest of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, Stacia. And have you played any chess yet today? <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. It's not a real day if there's not some chess in it. <laughs> oh, wow. What a great answer. I love that. Um, I got to admit, I haven't gotten to play much. I came home even early from work today, and I was like, I'm going to play chess. And on the drive home, I just got more and more tired. And by the time I walked in the door, I was like, I don't know if I can play chess. But I did manage a blitz game. Good news. I won it. It was a good game. It was pretty clean. It was a pretty clean game. I was pretty happy. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, this is always good. So, Stacia, can you tell us a little bit about your current situation? From what I gather, you're basically a chess professional now. How did you make that happen? And is it everything I imagine it would be? Yeah, so um, I mean, yeah, I do call myself a chess professional now because, you know, I left my real job, kind of retired from it as a real estate developer, which I did for 20 years, you know, so mm -hmm. a little while, but it was getting a little boring, a little monotonous. And so I was like, hey, you know, maybe I can try to go like half like professional cornhole, half professional chess. But then one year later, that was fun and then one year later I was like yeah you know what I think I just like chess <laughs> and then I went into just chess and the opportunities have really been surprising you know that the chess community offers um like here in Cleveland Ohio there's a group called progress with chess ran by um national master Michael Jolson and so my goal when I left my career was to kind of like see if I could sneak into progressive chess, you know, like I was willing to, mm -hmm. I was already teaching for them like just once a week, no big mm -hmm. deal. 
And I was willing to, you know, try teaching five times a week and volunteer my time to write grants for them or whatever it took. Yeah. Until they said, hey, you're great. Come work for us. But it actually happened in like the first two weeks. <laughs> so, and it turned out they were actually had their eye on me before I left my job. Hmm. So when I did, it kind of just like fast tracked everything for me, which was really nice. Hmm. And of course, I took a huge pay cut at first. <laughs> but I was like, hey, you know, I mean, what's the price of doing what you want in this life, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I ended up going part-time with them and doing the full-time cornhole thing and then going full-time chess. So I have some private students on the side too, sure. And, um, but as a result, I'm just doing all chess all the time. So that is really nice. All right. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So would you say now that you've put together all the different pieces of your professional chess life that you have a reasonable income that you are comfortable with or are is it kind of like a dangling by the knife's edge hoping something doesn't kind of topple down around you yeah I honestly thought it would be like that like I even sold my house and but I'm I was a real estate developer so it was kind of my plan anyway <laughs> wait for the market to get hot sell it yeah. yeah, so I had a nice like little cushion from that. And then I went and moved in with my mom for a little bit because hmm. my dad died anyway. And I was like, well, you know, we both need company. So yeah, I did that for a little bit, but then, you know, it didn't take long for my mom to drive me nuts. Yeah. Don't move in with your mom. <laughs> it seems like a good idea. No, it's not a good idea. Yeah. It's that part's <laughs> tough, right? Like you love your parents dearly, but uh, living her, with her, I did not want her to be by herself, you know, but yeah, I needed to get out of there. Um, but surprisingly, yeah, chess pays the bills. It's, it's surprising. I actually, I kid you not, I make more money as a chess professional than I did as a real estate professional. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. I don't know if that's good or sad or both or <laughs> but both were nonprofits. I worked for a nonprofit before, I work for a nonprofit now. Clearly, money's not like the biggest priority to me, but mm -hmm. um but yeah, I live comfortably, I would say. I don't ever worry nice. about money. So that must be a good sign, right? <laughs> that's fantastic. And um you are not a titled player, right? So you are a sort of regular chess player making it as a chess professional in this world yeah absolutely i mean right now my rating is 1653 which kind of makes me cringe i hate being under 1700 <laughs> um but yeah i went from like 1100 and 1791 is my highest and um so i'm somewhere in there probably okay. 1700 strings yeah we'll get into that story in just a couple okay so that's fascinating you you work for a chess organization, you write for them, you teach for them, um, you have your own students on the side. I worked for one of these um, scholastic chess organizations at one point. It can be both um, really invigorating and really exhausting having a room full of little kids, can it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I have to admit, part of maybe a key ingredient of this all working for me is that I did realize somewhere along the way, I went from like, no, no, I never want kids. I hate kids. Get their sticky fingers away from me to um, like, wow, I love kids. They're amazing. <laughs> so I, they, they literally energize me and exhaust me at the same time now. 
Yeah, that, that's always been my experience as well. Now I teach high schoolers, so the energy and exhaustion are a little different, but it's the same uh, kind of thing. Uh, well, what, let's go all the way back then before we start moving into your chess. Uh, what's your backstory with chess? When did you start? Did you start as a, as an infant? Did you uh, start with the, with the Queen's Gambit? What are we looking at? Yeah, so I, I do remember like... Um, I think I learned chess, maybe I learned how the pieces moved when I was 12 or something like that, maybe, but I barely remember. And then in college, I remember playing, like playing mm. like friends and stuff like that. But I had no clue there was this bigger chess community at all. And so that didn't really go anywhere. When you and were playing I, with your friends, was it like the person who discovered what a fork was just dominated everyone for a while? I don't think we even knew what a fork was. So <laughs> like I learned what a fork was later. Oh, okay. um, so I can't attest to what level that was, but, <laughs> um, but then, you know, in 2015, so I must've been 35, yeah, I was 35 when I rediscovered chess and hmm. I just lit up because I realized, I was like, wait, there's probably like, you know, YouTube exists now. Like there's probably like, wait, like videos on how to actually get better at chess. And then of course, you know, as soon as I typed that in, it was all over. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so um, that got me back into it and I joined chess.com and, you know, I was about a thousand strength starting out, which is good. I'm surprised I was that high. And then, um, well, I broke 1800 recently on there. So, whoa, okay. What do you use to measure yourself on chess.com? Is that blitz or rapid? Just rapid. I oh. take seriously on there. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I am. My rapid rating is quite a bit higher than my blitz rating. My blitz rating is my, I'm too tired to play actual chess. Let's just play some That's blitz. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about, doing something slightly different and saying my rapid rating is my real rating. My blitz rating is when I don't really have time for rapid, but still serious. And then finding yet another platform for when I'm tired and just like completely tanking that rating. I don't know. It's, it's too many ratings, Stacia. I don't know why I'm so concerned oh, about all. That's when you need like an illegal secret account. That's what that's for. <laughs> <laughs> and opening experiments. And I'm just going to call it Dr. Skull <laughs> underscore tired. I, th I think that would be a fun name for an account. That would be tired <laughs> slash drunk. Yeah, like completely <laughs> honest and descriptive with everyone who plays me. No one will ever resign against me because they'll be like, he's going to throw this at any moment. I know that. <laughs> right. Okay. So you, you start out, you're about a thousand. And from what I can tell, you have a pretty rapid climb to what? What was it about 1791, something like that? Yeah, so like um, like a uh, thousand to like fifteen hundred was pretty rapid. Then it was slower to seventeen ninety one, and then I have not broken that for over two years, which is okay. disturbing to me. I won't yeah, let let's take each of these brackets then bit by bit. So one thousand to fifteen hundred, you said that was pretty quick. What did you do that got you to one from one thousand to fifteen hundred pretty quick? Because I've got a friend. He's exactly 1,000. He is desperately listening to your advice because he cannot seem to break 1,100. 
Yeah, I guess what I did is I watched a lot of um, Yasser Sarwan and Ben Feingold, like St. Louis Chess Club lectures on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think those are awesome. I rewatched them to this day because I just love them. I think they're very good. And then also, um, you know, I definitely studied and played often. Okay. And one thing I did then that I'm not doing now, which makes me question how I'm formatting things now, is that like I had several nights a week that I played chess. So uh, like, like live over the board chess? Yeah, like live over the board chess. Gotcha. So I would do like, you know, Tuesday night, rated games at Parma, Thursday night, Lakewood Chess Club, Wednesday mm -hmm. night, meet my friend Mitchell and study tactics, you know. And I had like three or four per week I was meeting up and playing over the board chess. Mm. While now I'm doing more like one or two. Gotcha. Yeah, I can see how three or four nights a week over the board, you're as as Neil Bruce would say, you're getting out of the kiddie pool at that point and you're really swimming your laps in the Olympic pool there, training for the real deal. <laughs> um, okay. So you said you were studying also, were, were there any books or anything you were studying or was it, was it mostly a period where it was videos and playing? I definitely did tactics trainer in that time on chess.com. And I definitely, um, you know, I, I got pretty heavy into Silman's Endgame book. Mm. Oh, and chess tactics from scratch by Martin Vettenschnook, I think. And it's unchessable now. I'm going to buy it there too. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. When you say Silman's Endgame book, is it Silman's complete Endgame course? Yeah, that one. That one. Okay. Exactly. So you were learning kind of the basic theoretical Endgames, like opposition and things like that. Did you right. feel like you had an advantage when you got to the Endgame, or did you feel like you learned just enough to kind of be able to hold on in Endgames? Uh, hold on. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> it's probably even worse now. I feel like the knowledge base of lower-rated players is growing. Mm, yeah, I agree. And also, as you move up a little bit, I found that, you know, around when I was about a thousand, I did something similar where I looked at end games and I was like, I am an end game God. Like, no one even knows opposition. I just crush everyone. And then as I got to about 1400, it was the complete opposite. Right? I was like, oh, please don't go to an end game. I know nothing compared to these people. So it was uh, quite the transition for me. Oh yeah, mine was kind of sort of opposite. I was like, oh, this is why I lose every time. And these <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, like, oh, opposition exists. I had no clue. <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. You're learning. <laughs> okay. So you got to 1500 with relative ease. Um, and then you said your progress was a little slower after that. Did you get discouraged at all after having this, you know, rapid growth? Or do you just kind of say, this is part of the chess experience. It's fine that things aren't going as fast. Yeah, the second one, definitely. I no. mean, of course you feel a little disappointment because I think, you know, if you gain like 300 rating points in a year or in a year and a half or something, like part of you is like, oh, good. You know, mm -hmm. now I'll get 300 more next year, 300 more next year, 300 yeah. more next year. You and do I'm the math when you'll be grandmaster. You're like, <laughs> yeah, won't be too exactly. long. But, you know, I did, um, I was frequently um, attending those different clubs where I was quickly advised that, you know, it's not going to be like that. It's going to get harder and harder. So I yeah. think I half expected it to slow down. Mm, that's good. And so when it did, it wasn't too surprising. And I also have the, um, the experience of 
when I was improving in the professional cornhole world, it was very mm. much like that too. I even hit yeah. like a, I hit a one-year plateau in cornhole. And then, then I injured like my fingernail on my finger. It sounds so stupid, but when you're throwing a bag with precision, yeah. and you can't hold it that way anymore. It like uh, kind of shattered the way I was doing it. And I actually got worse for a whole year. And oh, only wow. after that did I rise up and I did become like a champion, like a women's champion in cornhole. So, wow. so with that in my past, like I, I tend to be not really phased by, um, um, setbacks, you know, I feel like it is just part of things. It's just yeah. Gotcha. You understand that there's going to be plateaus. There's going to be setbacks. You keep going, you keep practicing, you keep getting better and you'll power through. Yeah. And the other part of it is like, I really, really do love chess. I just love chess. Mm. So like, let's say I try, I'm trying to get to 1800 right now, even if I never made it to 1800, I would still, uh, I would still try because I just love it. I love trying. I love learning and I will break it though, but (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But yeah, I just love chess. Don't worry. I'll get, I'll get there. Um, okay. So, so what helped you get from uh, 1500 to 1791 because that's still quite a big gain even if it takes I don't know how long did it take to get that gain maybe a year and a half or so yeah that's still pretty I'll I'd take that no, in a year and a half yeah maybe more okay. I actually don't know it could have been a year and a half to three years somewhere in there okay. but I will tell you that I don't think that um I was 1791 strength at that time mm. I I think I got lucky and got a very nice result handled, handed to me in a tournament and it boosted my rating higher than I really was at the time. Okay. Interesting. What happened with this tournament that you felt like uh, I had a similar tournament like that, where it felt premature that I had such a great result. What, What happened with your tournament? Yeah, I remember exactly when it happened. I mean, it was like, I had, I was faced all higher rated opponents. It was a quad at Parma. So I'm playing three other players. I was the lowest rated and they were just like blundering (laughs) flat out blunt. Like, right. I mean, this 1600 guy just like handed me a piece and the opening is just like, okay. I mean, (laughs) you get the, you get the win. Yeah. Does that mean that you're a stronger player than you were Mm. before? It does not. Right. So Mm. the result, I do feel like the results in chess are a little, you know, temperamental and therefore mm-hmm. ratings can be too, in a way. So I just had this weird tournament where all, I didn't do anything special at all. I did not play any flashy moves. I played normal and my opponents tried to kill me and blundered. That's all that happened. <laughs> and uh, I got 1791 as a result. I got like the bonus rating points. And- what were you going into the tournament? Oh gosh, I don't remember, but I'm sure I was about 1730, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So you still got pretty high. So what did you do? Do you feel like that got you from 1500 to the 1700s? Did something change in your, your routine or did you just kind of keep doing the same thing? And eventually, you know, you kept climbing. You know, I worked closer with a coach during that period for sure. Cause mm, okay. I did get better. I know, I know that I improved and working with that coach who was about 1900 strength um really I met with him every week on Sunday mornings and um he would give me homework chess homework 
And I think he had me working in the Yusupov books during that period. Oh, okay. And those really changed the way I looked at chess a lot because it was way more strategic. And a lot of the stuff that Archer Yusupov says is easy is not easy at all. <laughs> at least that's my opinion. <laughs> I agree. I was working through the first orange book and I was like, I thought this was the easy book. What is happening? Right. Yeah, that book specifically is what I worked on during that period, like probably the whole time. Mm, yeah. um, the other thing that happened is I I got to the point in my openings where I stopped. I, I got to the point where I was looking at the middle games more. Oh, nice. And I learned like the normal middle game plans like really mm. well for mm, all okay. my standard go-to openings, which was basically like Queen's Gambit, Catalan, um, Binko Gambit, and knowing those plans so well, I often knew them better than my opponents and could outplay them. So I think that was the reason for the improved results during that period. Yeah, that's kind of the dream is to be able to say, not only do I know the moves of the opening, but now I know all the strategic plans of the middle game. I know what I'm playing for. And when I get there, I still know what to do. Instead of, I studied on chessable. I got 12 moves. Here we are. Now what? Now what do we do? Oh, we yeah, won here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I do that too, of course. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's that's great news. How many Yusupov books did you read? Was it just the first orange one? Uh, just two. That okay, was a, first yeah, two. Actually, I'll say one and a half. <laughs> okay. And, and why'd you stop? Because according to the advertisement, if you read all the books, you're 2200. So what happened? How come you, how didn't, how come you didn't decide to become 2200? You know, probably because I looked at those for a year and a half and then my coach is like, okay, time for something different. Okay. I'm a very, very obedient student. I will tell you that. My coaches tell me to do something and I say, how much, how long? They tell okay. me to I say when, where, how high. Yeah, so you're the dream student. <laughs> I try to be. Yeah. yeah, and I can only assume your students are just like you. Oh, of course. <laughs> do you have any <laughs> students? that are obedient or are all of them just kind of like, thank you for the advice, but I'm going to do what I want. I do have one student who's really good, actually. His name oh, is uh, Aiden awesome. Kelly. Mm -hmm. and He just turned um, 10. He'll be 11 soon. And he, he asks me for chess homework. So I gave him the I am blocker recommended method read art of the checkmate cover to cover play through every single game do every single puzzle so we've been working on that for like the past i don't know seven months or so oh that's cool <laughs> but he does it he does it and uh yeah. you can see it in his chess he's becoming a crazy attacking player which is what i want to want him to be <laughs> that's fun um i'm just curious do you ever worry about burnout having so much of yourself in chess it's kind of my my own fear for myself it's like if i do if i took all this chess on would i get to a point where i was like you know what i don't want to do play chess because it's all i do how do you think about that uh that's never been a concern um but it's because of my personality i've always been like an all or nothing kind of person mm. and the farther i dig into something the more i want to dig into it so i i just know that I'll never get burned out. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So well, for I you, it's not a concern. Ten years. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. 10 years, I might. <laughs> yeah. And then that's a long time, right? We can evaluate then. Okay. So we're in your story. You've reached 1791. You're a little bit thinking maybe that last tournament wasn't fully legit. Maybe I'm only 1750. But it sounds like, I don't know if it's a different coach, but you have a coach who suddenly says, great job. You've made all this progress in a short amount of time. Here's what you need to do. You need to throw out everything you know and start over. Is that an accurate assessment of what happened? That is what happened. I mean, it took me a good like three. I'm an obedient student, but when a coach asks you to throw out all the openings that you just got comfortable with, that you studied in detail for three slash four years, yeah, that's kind of a big ask, you know, and the coaches don't even realize it's that big of an ask. They're just yeah. like, oh, you don't have foundation. You need to do this. <laughs> so, you know, I come from now the Blocker School of Chess. And I'm referring mm -hmm. to, I am Calvin Blocker and National Master Michael Jolson, who are very much on the same page. Hmm. And Michael Jolson is my boss, by the way. Oh, wow. So I have so that pressure, right? <laughs> is, he, is he your boss slash coach or just boss? Both. Okay, wow. So you really better listen to him. Yeah, and friend. <laughs> and friend, wow. It's all together, okay. So yeah. if you refuse to play his openings, will he unfriend you? Uh, he would not. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good news. The way I see it is I would be losing a tremendous opportunity to draw mm. from his knowledge and experience as a player and a teacher for mm. decades, you know? Yeah. Calvin Blocker's in his 60s. I mean, these guys are a wealth of knowledge. You know, who am I to say, no, thank you? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so sure. they both told me, look, we don't want you playing D4 Catlins. Like, no, no, no. Your foundation is terrible. They flat out told me that. Hmm. You need to play E4, E5 and learn how to play chess from, from square one. That's what they said. They're like, you don't understand tactics on F7 or F2. You don't understand, you know, developing your pieces on the on certain squares that you don't understand the open game hmm. so after listening to them say that for three months i was like okay you know what fine i'm gonna do it and i threw wow. out my beloved catalan and everything <laughs> my goodness um all right so here for me is the burning question i feel like there's a lot of coaches out there right and you could have easily found a coach who was like the catalan's awesome you should definitely keep playing the catalan so what gave you the trust in these coaches that you were like, you know what? I will chuck everything, even though I've had good progress. I, I just feel like the amount of trust you must have there is tremendous. Because I know if my coach is like, all right, Kevin, here's the deal. Let's agree you suck at chess and you should chuck everything. I'd be like, you know, David, like it's been a great run. I'm not ready for that, though. So how, how did you develop so much trust with these coaches? Had you worked with them quite a bit already? Wow, that's an interesting question because I didn't even consider that. I didn't even consider the idea of not trusting them. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> no wonder I suck at chess. I didn't even consider the option. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so you know what it was is that I mean, I watched some of Calvin Blocker's lectures live. When you watch that man analyze a chess game, uh, I don't know, it changes you. He's hmm. really, really amazing. Okay. 
really amazing. And, um, and I figured if these two strong players that I know, two of the strongest players that I know, at least are telling me this, then maybe I should see what they mean and try this out, you know? Hmm. So uh, part of the adventurer in me likes it too. Maybe it's not totally trust. Maybe part of it's like, yeah, like take my rating, take my career, whatever. I, I love the adventure. Let's <laughs> 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 see where it goes, right? You can't do yeah. something amazing if you don't try something that is, you know, risky and adventurous. So yeah. that, that's kind of where my mentality was. And okay. I'm really glad that I did it. I'm really glad. Well, that's great because it would be really sad if you were like, and it was the biggest mistake of my oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. Like I could play D4 once in a while, they said, and I don't. I don't because hmm. I love E4 so much better right now. Hmm, okay, interesting. And are you playing like really aggressive attacking lines or are you playing like closed Roy Lopez's? Yeah, he said, e, he said one E4, no Roy Lopez allowed. Yeah. I kind of figured because as a Catalan <laughs> player, I could see you being like, you know, what I really like is a good old closed Roy Lopez. Right. That's what I would have did too. Because I was totally scared anytime <laughs> the position opened up. No, mm. he's like, here's what I want you to do. Smith Mora Gambit, Evans Gambit. Mm. He gave me a bunch of gambits. Wow. He, this is Calvin Blocker now. And he said, mm. you need to learn the value of a pawn versus the value of initiative. He's like, because hmm. you have no clue what that even is. He's yeah. like, you think you do, but you don't. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yes, fine. So that is what I did. And it did take me a good, I mean, you never saw someone's rating crash so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, believe I had no clue what I was doing at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, my coach said do this. So I would just do it. That's amazing. So, um, I yeah, think what would have happened that advice would have been great for me because I have the same problem. I do not play any gambits. I never have. I just can't bear to give up a pawn for hoping I have initiative. I think I understand it, but I'm sure I don't. But as soon as my ratings started to tank hard, I'd be like, you know what, coach? Like, it was a good idea. But we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough time. I will admit I had doubts when I was sitting on my rating floor of 1500, like mm. after being interviewed on um perpetual chess and stuff you know it's like oh yeah, yeah. Hey, i'm 1500 now All right <laughs> like yeah. so yeah. yeah that was that was difficult but i do think that um it added a whole new aspect mm -hmm. to my chess understanding that i didn't have okay so and i you know my coaches are telling me that i will break 1800 very soon and that is how i feel too Gotcha. And before they're like, oh, you're 1791, huh? Oh, but they, <laughs> yeah. they didn't believe me that right. I was that strength. And gotcha. now I kind of understand why, you know? Right. So you, you feel, do you feel like kind of your strength was being propped up by your understanding of middle game positions? Whereas now your strength is just really understanding chess at an 1800 level. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> Gotcha. Because it wasn't even just that I understood the middle game positions. It was that I got the same type of middle game positions every game. Right. So I had no clue what to do in anything but that. Mm. And, you know, that's not what I want to be, especially as a teacher. Yeah, that's I a good point. I do not want to be like that or I won't be able to help my students. 
Yeah, your students like, I was looking at E4 and you're like, whoa, whoa, lessons over. I don't know anything about E4 openings. <laughs> yeah, you're a exactly. new teacher. But teacher, I heard this was a good opening. No, 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 no. It's D4 only. Yeah, exactly. One E4. Now I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do feel, you know, this was good for me as a career decision too, mm. to know how to play E4 and D4 and know how to play Makes games. Sense. Yeah. Um, now, will I always play gambits? Probably not, but yeah, I should know how to play a gambit. If I'm really mm. going to be a chess master, doesn't that include understanding the value of a pawn and the value of initiative and being able to play a gambit and win a game? I would think yes. So, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of master I would want to be. So that's what I'm shooting for. That makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this. You hit your floor of 1500. How are you processing this? Is there, are there any days where you're like, maybe I should just get out of chess? Like this just has not been working like I had, I had what I wanted and now it's a disaster. I'm kind of done with this game. I'm going to go play backgammon and any thoughts like that happening? Or did you always have that confidence that no, this is part of the process and I'm going to be able to reclaim everything. Yeah. I, I would say that I never really lost faith in the process, but did it feel bad? Yes, it did. I mean, yeah, okay. it feels bad when you know that you're just you were just 1791 crushing all the 1500s without too much trouble. Mm. And now suddenly the 1400s are beating me, you know, like that was mm. not fun at all. Yeah. Um, but I did understand that if I keep doing this and I keep learning and I just keep building that foundation that I need that eventually, you know, I will um, rise back up from the ashes. So that is kind of what happened, you know, and so I, I did reach something close to um, 1791 recently, which is the first hmm. time in years. So I know that I'm almost there now and I'm doing it with Gambit this time, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And I imagine now if you go back to D4 ever, you'll just feel this whole different set of options opening up to you, right? Now it won't be, I have to force this one structure. It'll be, I can play to whatever the board is telling me I should play to. Uh, which, which I think would make a much more effective play. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, my rating should show it soon. It doesn't yet, but I hope that it will show it soon. But, you know, because sometimes sharp open positions with tons of tactics and attacks turn into positional games. Yeah. And when that happens, I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of know what to do. And I go back to my D4 days. But yeah. the opposite happens too. You know, you might be in a D4 opening and it gets crazy and you better know how to find your footing there, you know? And that is what I didn't know before. Yeah. And now I do. And I even invite it or I even cause it to happen, which back in the day um, when I was D4, <laughs> you know, I would avoid complications like they were the plague. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever be a chess master that way. I mean, that's just how I feel. Yeah, I mean, that's how my coaches sold it to me. Honestly, they were like, "Yeah, you're 1791." They're like, "And you might, might get to 1900." But they're like, "If you don't do what we're asking you to do, you're gonna plateau at 1900 for the rest of your chess career." That's what they told me. Is that true? It's I'm sure it's um, debatable, mm. but it did sort of make me say like, "Okay, you know, they feel so strongly about this that." it's definitely worth trying what they're saying. Yeah, and it sounds like they had built up with that, that trust with you that you could trust their judgment 
um, that they know what they're talking about, which I think is really important. Um, by the way, I feel like your avatar needs to be a phoenix, right? Like that's just obvious, right? And it could be like, and underneath the tagline could be like 1791 dash 1500 double question mark, like blundered to 1500 and then dash and then like uh, GM or whatever you're going for. Yeah, well, I have to finish the story first, right? <laughs> the first, I'm kind of like struggling to get out of the ashes, but well, we don't we don't get to skip to the end and just be like, and we're irons, all of us. We all get the title. Okay, well, what all what else helped you on your climb back up? So it sounds like you're taking on gambits. You're you're learning the understanding of the Valley of Ponds initiative. Are there any? resources you're using it sounds like you're done with the Yusupov books now was it just all tactics all the time to try to get that going were you reading some strategy books some videos where are we at there yeah let's see well so working with um Calvin Blocker you know someone that's an IM as opposed to my 1900 coach that was I mean, that actually caused my rating to tank, as you know, but I think it's helping me in the long run. Mm -hmm. uh, the game analysis with him, but he recommended Art of the Checkmate for me. Mm -hmm. He said, look, he's like, you have no foundation. This book is your chess Bible. I want you to go through it cover to cover. That's what he said. Okay. That is what I did. And I think that helped me get off the 1500 floor in those crazy openings that he made me play. <laughs> And I am very thankful for it now because I know way more checkmating patterns that yeah. I have no clue about, right? I mean, checkmate ends the game. I should probably know some checkmate patterns. Yeah. <laughs> so I do love that book. And that's why I um, use that with a lot of students now. Gotcha. Um, so so is, is Art of the Checkmate a, a pattern book or is it just checkmates? Yeah, patterns. Okay. I'd say patterns. Yeah. Okay. So it's sim patterns. it sounds similar to Crafty Raft's um, thing on Chessable. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's a checkmate pattern book. Yeah, the checkmate pattern handbook or I yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like that. So a lot of checkmate patterns, a lot of building up attacks. Mm -hmm. And um, they actually, I don't know if you know this book, but one thing I really like about it is they will give you the entire game. And these are all mm -hmm. like historical games. And they'll give you the entire game and how the attack builds up and leads mm. to checkmate. So I did play through every single game on a real board. That's what I did. Mm, nice. How long did that take you? Probably a whole year. Yeah. I believe <laughs> That's it. That's how I go through a book. I'm not Neil Bruce, okay? Right. <laughs> um, but um, I wish I was. I could have been faster, right? No, but I go, I dive deep when I study a book. I dive very, very deep. And that's just how I am, I guess. What's your strategy then? Do you take a bunch of notes? Do you mark up the, the margins? How, how do you handle books? Yeah, I, I actually make flashcards. Every time I learn something that seems kind of groundbreaking to me or something that mm. I just completely missed, I make like a flashcard of it digitally. Like lately I use Lee Chess for that. And then I do review all my flashcards. Because I want those ideas to be like ingrained in my brain. Gotcha. And that helps me keep, it, it helps me retain what I learn. It's probably yeah. not so important for kids, but for adults, I think. Yeah. Really so it's important. not just simply 
reading through, playing through once and just hoping that your brain magically remembers it all, but it's really actively going back and refreshing that knowledge and information. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the flashcards ask me, Hey, do you remember the idea behind yeah. this? Why, you know, and, and like my, in a lot of my flashcards, there is calculation involved. So I mm-hmm. have to actually calculate it right again. Interesting. And you said you do this on Lee Chest. Is that like, what's the feature on Lee Chest? Yeah, Lee Chess has that great thing in uh, their studies where you can actually, you know, um, choose, uh, what, is, what is it called? You can choose like quiz format. That's not what it's actually called, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I've been doing that uh, most hmm. recently. And it seems to be the best method. Interesting. I have to look into that more because I have a lot of studies. I didn't know that I could do quizzes with them. So I'll be, I'll definitely be looking into that now. Yeah. Go into the settings and there's like mm-hmm. a feature where, you know, you can ask yourself a question, make the move and it tells you if it's right or not. Hmm. But I'm never content to just make the move either. I always yeah. ask why I have to get the why right. If I don't get the yeah. why right, then I didn't really, I don't really know. That's yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually kind of going through crafty rafts tactics book right now it's, it's been a weird thing with me like my tactics rating on chess.com is like 2600 but i don't know the names of the mating patterns and i think even just knowing the names makes it easier to to connect the information and um my daughter i'm giving her chess lessons now and that's what we're doing we're learning the mating names and so i'm learning them too i'm like this is great i get to learn while you're learning can't be that so uh that, that, that's going well so it's been fun. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you have to know the, the names of them because I've seen so many kids that know deep ideas and they have no clue what the name of it is. Yeah. And, and yeah, they're, they're stronger than I am for sure. Yeah. It's been the one. <laughs> you don't have to know it, but it helps me. I, I enjoy knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking. But it, it has been really fun to watch my daughter who, you know, like our, our learning styles are so different. And it's so much more effective for her. It's frustrating, right? It's like uh, she one week she can't attack at all. The next week she magically can. And I'm like, how how did you learn how to attack? And she's like, I don't know. I just realized you're supposed to checkmate the king. So now I do it. And I'm like, what? Like I had to read several books on how to do this. What do you mean you just realized you need to do that? Wow. How Um, old is she? She is seven. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Kids kids are built for learning. So that is a nice advantage they have. Yeah, it is. It is pretty amazing. So I, it's funny because she got really bored with chess lessons. Like she was really into chess and her chess teacher was so amazing and so patient, but you know, he didn't cater to exactly what she wanted. He wanted her to be a good student. And she was a terrible student in that if the teacher wasn't doing exactly what she wanted in that moment, she was like, ah, so I decided, okay, we're going to do it different. I'll be your teacher. And what do you want to learn? And I'll teach it to you. Well, is it the most efficient way to get better at chess? No. But if you're having fun and that that keeps you going because you're having fun, then that's fine. Um, we'll just do it that way. So yeah, that's one of the strategies. I love that. I that's my uh, whole philosophy too. Is that mm-hmm. you know how much you improve is going to revolve around how much you love the game. I yeah. really do feel that way. I know it's contrary to what Neil Bruce says, which his way is valid, I'm sure, especially for maybe his personality type. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like I have to love what I'm doing. If I start to despise like my morning chess study, 
yeah then it's time to take a break and play blitz or do whatever the frick i want to do play deep yeah. work, play whatever <laughs> you know because yeah. the love the love of the game is what will drive you to um success i think so yeah. i actually teach very young kids that's my favorite thing mm. and i just share my love of chess with them and i try to get them to love the game most of all that's my main objective with them that's and cool hopefully they learn a couple things too yeah <laughs> yeah i remember my, one of my fondest chess memories was teaching this kindergarten through maybe second grade class and i remember all the parents dropping off their kids and saying like all right i know they're not going to learn how to play chess that's totally fine i just want them you know to be with something where they're thinking more and i was like oh no they're they're going to beat you in about four weeks and they're like there's no way my kindergarten is going to beat me and i'm like do you know what a fork is and they're like like what you eat with and i'm like yeah they're gonna beat you in four weeks just yeah. wait <laughs> and then they did and the parents were all stunned like how was this possible so oh no. yeah that's beautiful yeah, yeah. That, was, that, was, that was a lot of fun i really i really enjoyed that and i feel um, like a young kid that loves chess guess what they're gonna do they're gonna yeah. play more chess yeah they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna play a lot <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's talk real quick then about uh, what does your training regimen look like these days? It sounds like you're really busy with chess. So do you have a lot of time for your own training? Not as much as I want. I mean, um, yeah, not as much as I want, just because when you have private students, it's going to eat into your study time a little. But I do maintain a morning chess study every morning. Mm. I try to play at Parma every Tuesday night. But probably three out of four is more accurate. And then I try to play tournaments. I think that's essential. Again, mm. me and Neil Bruce are different. I think you, if you want to win a tournament, then you got to play a lot of tournaments. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, that's how you get good at tournaments. That's what I did in Cornhole. And that's what I will do with chess. And um, so in addition, my study regimen is production-based lately. That's my favorite method at the moment. So I still do flashcards, but I make um, production-based goals because what I found is that if I say, um, you know, I want to do one hour of tactics training every day for 30 days, well, inevitably some days emergencies come up or I'm just so exhausted. I just, it's not, it's not a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. So instead, I'm doing it more like, okay, I want to do 100 tactics puzzles. I put that on my list and gotcha. then I strive to complete that, you know, but there's no like hard and fast timeline on it. Okay. And so I'm doing it that way at the moment, which is good. What's currently on your list for production? Is it a like weekly list, a monthly list, just a flat out list? It's just a flat list for the moment. Um, and so I had study for Pillsbury games four games by Harry Pillsbury, an assignment from my coach actually, mm -hmm. um, which is done. I've got three and a half done. I, and I made some videos on them. Then next on the list is study five master games that are in my own openings so that I could learn some middle games from five of my worst openings. Mm -hmm. So I have that and I'm gonna actually memorize those games at least through like move 20. Oh, wow, okay. So I've got like a couple of those done. And then the last one was like, um, gosh, what was the last one? I think it's woodpecker puzzles. 
like 200 mm. or something like that. Okay. No, and I when you reach 100. one of those goals, do you kind of cross it off and add a new one? Or do you wait till you complete them all? And then you're like, I am a God of chess. All the goals are done. Yeah. So my thing is like, I, I keep a major list of everything I've completed and I give myself mm. a gold star sticker. I kid you not. <laughs> Ooh, very nice. <laughs> yeah. And so every time I complete something, it gets added to the list with the, with the gold sticker. And I'm not allowed to add anything new because I have a million things I want to add. Oh yeah. I'm not allowed to add anything new until something is crossed off. So that's my mm. motivation to keep the list going. Okay. So like next, so like I did complete like 14 training games, like one a day for two weeks was my goal. I did 14 training games hmm. and that got the gold sticker. And I do think that training games help me uh, with tournament results. <laughs> so yeah. I'll probably do that one again soon too. Hmm. Okay. That's fascinating. When you say you are memorizing these games up to 20 moves, what does that mean? How many times do you have to play over it to memorize it? Well, the way I do it quite a few times because I actually memorize all the variations too, the key variations. <laughs> wow. Okay. You're not messing around here. Yeah. But I feel like when I do that and then I get those openings on a real chessboard in a game, it's a whole new world. It's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what my mm. ideas are. I have so many ideas, so many plans. And when you have that, it makes it way easier to calculate, <laughs> you know, yeah. you kind of know what you're aiming for. That's so, fascinating. It also means probably that you know what the missteps are. And so like, as your opponent steps into one of the missteps, you're like, ah, that was one of the variations. I remember how that one went not right. well for you. Right. Exactly. Cause I, I am sort I'm too thorough probably than I need to be more thorough than I need to be. But I'll actually ask myself, like, what would I play here? Hmm. You know, just quickly, just, yeah. you know, I would play bishop e3 and guard that pawn. And then I see that, you know, Wei Yi played, you know, a4, and he's threatening a5, attacking a knight on b6 or something. And yeah. it gives me fresh ideas that hmm. I didn't really consider when I was playing the opening, you know? Yeah. That then like I use those idea. on the board. I mean, you experiment with them at first and you'll, you'll stumble some, but... In my experience, it pays off later for sure. Hmm. This is amazing. So how many hours, say a week, do you feel like you're able to do? Yeah, good question. Um, actual like real chess study. I mean, I probably do about right now, eight to 10, which is, okay. I wish it was more. And does that include your Tuesday night chess at Parma or does that not it include would it? include it? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. probably about three hours of it okay and is, is that tournament games or is that just kind of having fun playing chess no those are rated games so okay they're serious yeah serious rapid games g30 okay gotcha but All the right. nice thing about working for a chess organization is that sometimes my boss will be like hey who wants to look at a game <laughs> station have a game you want to look at i mean you know so we yeah. analyze in the office then my coworker ian goliath he's an expert you know, he, he'll be like, Hey, you want to play blitz? Okay, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, so nice. I, I get some more exposure, um, during my office hours. So I'm hoping that pace that is playing a role too. Gotcha. <laughs> I hope. Okay. And I imagine your coaching isn't actually adding that much to your chess development. If you're coaching mostly, you know, newer players, is that accurate? 
Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, the the younger ones that are just learning what a fork is, I'm mm -hmm. not sure that helps me all that much as a chess player. I mean, I get to see some patterns. It reinforces some things probably, but it doesn't help like deeper calculation, which is what I'm striving for these days. But my student Aiden, absolutely, I think my time with him is, is quite good because we spend half the lesson on something that is tough for me to teach because it'll hmm. be something, he's probably about a thousand strength right now, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I even did one whole lesson with him where we set up a position on a board and we calculated lines without moving the pieces and talked about them. That's I mean, so that must help me too. Yeah. And then we play training games where we're on the same team hmm. and um, talk about the moves and stuff like that. So I think that with him, I think it's always helping me. Um, yeah. But, you know, when I teach my, my seven-year-old, Nathara, you know, here's deflection. Yeah. <laughs> and then she pauses it and puts 20 <laughs> queens on the board you know, that's not going to help me, <laughs> but, um, but it's fine, you know. So yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, this is not how I envisioned this lesson going right Only now. grandmasters can do that. You need your GM title before you can put 20 queens on the board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any adult improvers that you're coaching or is that pretty much exclusively kids? Yeah, I've kind of let go of adults. I, I just, I love working with the kids so much that, um, gotcha. yeah, I have two classes of kids and four kids students. That's enough. But I do have a training partner. I'll say that. I have an Ooh. adult river training partner. Okay. How, how often do you guys play? So we, we meet up once a week, um, sometimes more. We talk almost, almost daily. Oh, that's cool. Um, about our chess and what we're doing and stuff. So I feel like that is helpful because it's sort of motivating in a way. Yeah. Are you able to meet in person or is this online? We do it completely online. He actually lives in New York, which is a couple states away. Okay. And we do calculation training once a week in the morning. Yeah, that so sounds great. About 45 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So somebody, just another human to keep you going. Do you guys play games as well? Is it mostly just calculating and that kind of stuff? Well, we might analyze games together and we, we did go to like a tournament together, hmm. um, which we'll do more. So, okay. But mostly it's just, we're trying to do calculation together. Gotcha. So end game studies and tactic and middle game calculation, basically. Okay. I feel like that's the key. That's going to be the key, I think, to getting yeah. 2,000. Because I have to be able to calculate better. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, it's so hard for me because I've gone through phases, right? I was like, I need to calculate better. And I was working on calculation. And then right as I got to a point where I was like, I'm somewhat reasonable. It's like, but I'm awful at end games. And so it's like all these things pulling me all over when really probably the bottom line is, just getting better at calculating would be the, the answer, but we'll see. I'll have to come back oh, to Oh, there's tons of calculating in end games. So. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll just say I'm doing that. <laughs> right. Um, any over the board tournaments coming up? Is it, has it been hard with COVID or is your area kind of like COVID's fine now? We just play chess. Where are you guys at? Yeah, it was like that for a little bit. And then it, the last two months have been rough again. So I have not been playing much over the board and I actually got sick. I mean, it wasn't COVID, but I wasn't sure at the time. It's just a cold, but yeah, 
you know, I'm not going to go to Perma Chess Club and risk getting people that I love and care about sick. That's not yeah. my goal. So I haven't been able to go there either, but I'm going to make a vigorous tournament schedule for this year. I'm like going all in this year. Ooh, that's exciting news. I'm going to try to break 1800 quickly and go for 1900. So I'm really fired up right now. I think that's where my chest really is. My mm. coaches think so too. So it's not just me. I don't think I'm crazy. Yeah. For other reasons maybe. But um, <laughs> yeah, and then I'm going to um, attend the World Open is going to be my big... Mm. flagship tournament and what what month is that i do believe it's july like okay july so that'll be the tournament where you hit 1900 so we should all go and celebrate your achievement that'll be the tournament where i'm 1780 and mm. then i drop down to 1650 no 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 no, <laughs> no, no just kidding <laughs> i will say this it feel it must feel good having these same coaches who at one time said you're on the wrong path. You're not going to make the progress you want. Now saying you've put in the work, we see it. We see you making these goals. That, that must feel really uh, rewarding and like pay, your work paying off. Yeah, it does feel that way. I mean, and the other thing that maybe we don't think about enough or maybe we shouldn't think about, I don't know which, but you know, a lot of my losses are because I spent too much time calculating and I'm way behind on the clock. And it's just a time management issue. If you look mm -hmm. at the actual game, I outplayed my 1900 opponent, you know, sure. but I took the, I took the zero because I didn't do it quickly enough. Mm. And my coaches are telling me, you know, that means you're really close. And if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll do it faster and then yeah. you win those games and see a bump in your rating. And, and they're like, don't worry about rating. Don't worry about, they tell me, don't worry about your time management. They tell me lose on time. They live. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I guess their theory is the more you're calculating, you'll just get faster, faster and faster. And then suddenly you won't lose on time. I think so. I think that's mm. what they're saying because I mean, I'm baffled every time they say it. <laughs> I'm like, how do we, how do I work on my time management? You know, yeah. like, every game I'm behind on time, every game I lose. Cause I blunder with five seconds on my clock. Yeah. And my boss sits back and says, so lose on time. It's okay. Lose on time, <laughs> lose on time a few times. It's good for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You want to step up and smack him. What, what are you nuts? Says. He's like, he's like, here, I know what you should do. When in the middle game. If there's no end game, you won't be in time pressure. <laughs> obvious answers to obvious problems right there. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. I'm trusting their process still. I So I have a feeling that I might be a little underrated because mm. of that and because they won't really allow me to focus on my time management. Gotcha. So I feel like if I did, I probably would see a rating boost. But Which again is so fascinating, right? Because most people would be like, hey, coach great advice not accepting it i'm gonna work on this but you the most obedient student anyone's ever met is like okay i won't do it then yeah yeah i admit wow as a teacher i'm just rooting for you to make grandmaster and then be like see obedient student pays off well i do know that grandmaster is probably out of the question 
What I are your goals then? Probably out of the question, but I'll try for it anyway. Like, what are you going to try for? Goal. I am is what I really, okay. really want. If so I, I am is your dream goal. That's my dream goal. I want to yep. be an I am guess. And, um, but national master is a really great uh, sub goal. Okay. So if I got national master, um, I think that would mean a lot. So that one means the most to me at the moment. And gotcha. hey, if you got that, why not go for I am? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much the place I am too. Uh, I, I am would be the dream. The more, the more I not make progress with, uh, with my 500 hours of studying last year, the more I think, okay, all right, maybe I am is not realistic. Uh, and maybe, maybe national master has to become the dream goal. I don't know, but I, I feel like there's no reason not to dream big. All the people that say, oh, don't do that. I, I don't quite get it. What I do get is saying, if I don't get I am, I'll be devastated. Okay, that sounds ridiculous. But to say that's my dream goal, I, I don't see how that's a problem. Right. That's how I feel too. You should have a dream goal that seems impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I had a dream goal once. I was like, hey, I want to do cornhole and chess and quit my real job. It took me, I mean, it took me like two years of processing and like figuring that out mm -hmm. to actually dive into that plan but it freaking happened. You know, it did actually happen. I mean, so I, yeah. you know, I'm a dreamer and I'm someone that has seen dreams come true. Like that came true. I actually did like win the women's cornhole thing. Like I am not an amazing person. Like, like <laughs> I did not expect to win that. Right. <laughs> so when I see stuff like that happen, then I'm like, Hey, you know, frick, anything can happen. Yeah. Honestly, I think the key reason that I succeed where some others fail is not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm amazing. It's because I simply believe that I could do it. I simply mm -hmm. believe it. And I, I feel like, cause if you don't believe that you can get there, then the first thing that's going to happen when you stumble just a little bit is that doubt is going to just crush you. Yeah. So like, so I, and, and believe me, I feel that on me too, but I'm, I'm, it's easier for me, I think, to be like, oh, who cares? I'm going to do it anyway. I, I think I could do it anyway. Yeah. Also, but, it sounds like this belief in yourself and having dreams is accompanied by hard work, right? You're not just like, I want to become I am. I'm going to go watch some Netflix. I'm not I am yet. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely hard work. But, but that's part of why I believe it. Cause I know yep. that, you know, I enjoy the hard work. So I'm going to, I've done a lot and I'm going to do a lot more. So having that knowledge then makes me more willing to believe that, you know, it's possible, yeah. but I do understand that, you know, people have spent their entire lives chasing the I am title and not achieved it. So what makes me think I'm so special that I could do it? You know, I do understand that argument. Yeah. And, and kind of agree with it like okay yeah i i don't think i am special in that regards but hey i'm gonna try it anyway who cares yeah well you have a great <laughs> answer you're like i am special i'm a i'm a phoenix i'm like whoa okay. <laughs> no, no i don't think i am but i do think that there's a lot of uh toxic people yeah. in the um in the chess world that will tell you mm -hmm. things like because believe me i hear it a lot um, there's one in particular, I'm not going to mention any names, but he goes around telling every single adult improver, um, he'll say, oh, you're an adult improver. 
yet your rating hasn't gone up in 10 years and he'll like pull out their stats and stuff. Okay. That, that's, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that's great. But I don't wow. buy it. I don't buy it. Because, yeah. I mean, I do think the chess world has gotten a little stronger over the past 10 years. Yeah, I do too. You can increase your knowledge and not increase your results. That is also possible. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that he's probably parading around that type of uh, viewpoint because he wishes he could improve and he can't or doesn't mm. believe that he can. So he's going to try and justify his viewpoint by shooting down those who can't, who do believe they can or are trying yeah. to and say, see, they're just like me. They can't get anywhere either. But I don't think that's true. I think we all can do it. And I think, you know, just takes a little hard work and perseverance. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that myself. We'll we'll see if uh, the chess world crushes me into a fine powder eventually. But uh, my plan is to resist and carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I I feel crushed. I mean, I don't want to give the impression that I don't, I don't get crushed sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my last line of questioning is this: You said in an email to me that you have three coaches. Why do you have so many coaches? And what do you feel like they're adding here to, to your development? <laughs> okay, well, I don't deserve that many coaches, but <laughs> there's some very nice people here in Cleveland, let's put it that okay. way. So National Master Michael Jolson is my boss. So by default, we look at a lot of chess together and he gives me a lot of advice. Just, it comes up day to day in conversation. Yeah. So he's basically my coach, probably yep. my main coach. But I say that my main coach is, I am Calvin Blocker. So he's the one I listen to over all else. You mm. know, He tells me what openings to play, like specifically. Wow. Like, I don't want you to play this line of the Evans Gambit. I want you to play queen B3. I move five, not move six. Like it gets very specific. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's very- uh, Okay. So I, I'm in his school of chess. So therefore I listen to him exactly, but he has very interesting lessons that are generally four to six hours long. So you can, so I only do like, and they're also expensive. <laughs> so I only do those like, um, about eight times a year, mm. probably four, you know, once a month for four months, take a little break four for once a month again. So that's how I do it with him. Wow. But I pay like $200 a lesson and buy him dinner. After. Okay. Wait, so these lessons are in person? They're in person. Yeah. In, in person, four to six hour lesson. Yeah, you I must come away from that with your brain completely melted. Uh, yes. Honestly, I'll be so tired the next day I can barely function. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Wow. But, I guess on the plus side, that's really training you for tournament games, right? You're like, yeah, no, I'm used to this four to six hours straight thinking. Yeah. And he'll tell me, don't eat dinner because he'll be like, there'll be tournaments where you don't have time to eat. So you oh, need to wow. learn to calculate when you're on an empty stomach. I'm like, wow. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I respect it. I think it's cool. So I, I'm yeah. totally all in with him. So he's my main coach. I've got Michael Jolson. Then that coach that I told you who brought me from like 1100 to like 1600, his mm -hmm. name is Jim Antoline. 
and I deeply respect him and everything he, and I love everything he's done for me. He's been such a great friend. He's sort of my openings coach. Hmm. Okay. So when I face lines that I don't, I don't know, or when I'm struggling with a certain opening, he actually like researches it and sends me lines and sends me ideas for the, oh, wow. and, and so we meet up sometimes and talk about my openings. <clears throat> yeah. And do you, because the openings come from someone else and he has to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then blockers just like, no, no, that's all wrong. You got to play this line. You're like, sorry, this is the line I have to play. Yep. That happens too. Um, do you use chessable to reinforce these lines or what is the mechanism that you're using to, to actually memorize all these lines? Uh, I use my flashcards, but I, I, you know, I was doing chessable and memorizing the lines and mm -hmm. I just, I have to admit, I get very bored doing that. And then I start mm -hmm. to fall asleep. Gotcha. <laughs> so okay. I, I'm not into the move trainer thing. I'm just not. Gotcha. I like better studying specific positions mm -hmm. and looking at all the possibilities in that position. So here's the good move. Why is that? Why is that a good move? You know, why isn't this a good move? Why is yeah. this a terrible move? It looks natural. So I love to do things like look at natural moves and figure out why they're wrong. Gotcha. So, so do you have things like Lee chess studies with a whole bunch of text that you've put in there and you're like, this move looks great, but it's garbage. And here is why. Yeah. Yeah. My main two formats are Lee chess studies mm. and YouTube videos of me analyzing them. I make both public videos and private videos for myself too. That's fascinating. <laughs> so you do the analysis and then you watch yourself doing the analysis to kind of reinforce it almost like in a, a video flashcard. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And I do that. Okay. This is probably not good to say, but I do that when I'm driving places. Oh yeah. I'm too tired to do a real study. I mm -hmm. can review stuff. Yeah. And I like to, um, if there's key lines I want to review, I look at them before tournament on the way there driving. Yeah. Because, you know, you can glance down and see the position and then just drive and listen to your analysis and pretty, mm -hmm. much, know, pretty much get the ideas out of yeah. it. Yeah. Or you could just set your phone on the dashboard and just like drive <laughs> and look at the video. That sounds yeah, safe. And, and you know, if you crash your car and die, who cares? I mean, you know the you probably won't like, die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably won't die. <laughs> if I end up in the hospital, at least I know my idea, my chess ideas. And you'll have lots <laughs> of time to study chess in the hospital. Oh yeah, that's the silver lining. Exactly. See, you're not seeing the silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I guess my last question for you is you you've gotten so much out of coaching what is your suggestion I, I i often get the question of like how do i find a coach how do i interact with a coach and my question for you is what's your advice for how to to handle coaching it, it sounds like what you've done is just listen a hundred percent to your coach is that what you would suggest to other people or what, what do you think is the best method for getting the most out of coaching hmm yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, yeah, my intuition is find a coach and listen to them 100%. The, I would say the more wrong it sounds, I mean, if they're a strong player, if they're an IM or national yeah. master and you're 1500, 1600, yeah, I think you need to listen to them 100%. We know that coaches have various styles. We know that they have various schools of thought. 
But if what they're saying sounds foreign to you and they're a national master, they're an IM, then you're going to get something out of that. And it's going to add to your chess game. That's how I feel. So I really do believe in the whole obedient student thing. Okay. You know, and my student Aiden's listening to me, which is, you know, that's suspect. Why listen to me? (laughs) (laughs) But he's thriving, you know, that kid is thriving. And, you know, any second I'm going to lose him actually, because he's about to get too strong for me. Sure. He's challenging me. And I yeah. told him if he beats me, you know, I'll pass him on to a new coach. Okay. That's he's fair. So, he's so close. He's so yeah. Close. Well, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah. It's got to be both really amazing to lead a student to that level. And then a little sad of like, ah, you're my favorite student. You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it will be sad. But, you know, there's always more kiddos. That's yeah. for sure. There's always okay. more kiddos. And he'll always be my student forever, by the way. You know, yeah. I'll always call him my student. We'll always be, you know, yeah. always he'll, call him. He'll be like an IM and you'll be an inter, a national master. You'll be like, this is my student. People are like, huh? I don't, I don't understand this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, Ben Feingold does it. Why can't I? Well, he's yeah. GM. So I guess that's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. yeah, he can call anyone his student he wants, I, I think. Uh, well, Stacia, it has been so awesome to talk to you and hear you really wrestle with the quick rating game. Like, like you said, such an amazing story. You are on uh, perpetual chess talking about your amazing run. And then you just like threw it all out the window to listen to some, what I'm going to call random good coach, uh, that just had good advice and, here you are back on the climb, almost all the way back, like the phoenix rising from the ashes. I got to imagine, though, when you were at your floor, people were like, yes, I got paired against Stacia. She doesn't even know how to play the opening. And you're like, <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. I, I remember playing, I played like a 2000 who was at their floor when I was about 1700. I was like, maybe, maybe this is the time. And then they destroyed me. And I was like, okay, okay, it's not the time. That's all right, eventually. <laughs> Uh, but but Stacia, where can people find you? Uh, where can people find your videos, your your writings? Uh, where can people contact you? How can people get in contact with you? Because I'm sure people are going to want to hit you up for maybe lessons or to hear more about your story. Yeah. So anyone who wants to reach me, um, probably my work email is the best because I check it daily. So that's Stacia at progresswithchess.org. That's progress with chess, not progressive chess like the soup. Hmm. <laughs> um, I also have Twitter at Stacia Melinda on Twitter. And those are probably the two main ways. Oh, and let's not forget my YouTube channel. Chess is best with Stacia Melinda. Your Ooh. best bet is to simply Google that and you will you will find me. Chess is best with Stacia Melinda. Nice. And how often I are you posting on there? You post oh, a lot? Several okay. times a week. Yeah, that's my most active thing is YouTube. For sure. Nice. Well, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Um, you can find me on YouTube sporadically at Dr. Skull. You can watch me stream Bobby Fisher's 60 memorable games at uh, Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. I got to warn you, it's not super exciting. It, this is adult approver doing adult improving. I'm not entertaining I'm just going over the game. We're looking at analysis, but it's been really fun when people are there uh, because I don't turn on the engine. We just wrestle with it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. 
And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon, Chess Journeys. Any support there helps so much, and I really appreciate it. And thanks so much, everyone, for stopping by to listen today. And hopefully you found Stacia's story to be motivating, encouraging, helpful, with some good tips in there. And uh, as a result, who knows, maybe this is the week you'll have your, your wonderful ratings gain. And if you don't, don't worry, we're all plateauing sometime, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>